You're listening to Matter of Pride, the comedy education for queers and allies with me, comedian Erin Twitchin. Each week, I take a different area of gay history and break down the basics. I do the Google so you don't have to. This week, we're covering the proposed ban on gay conversion therapy via a quick tour of stalking Jennifer Saunders. Guilty. If you want to support the show, you can be a bae and subscribe to my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Erin Twitchin. Or you can buy cute merch from my humbly titled website, www.iloveerin.co.uk. For more information on the issues that I cover in this show, there are links to resources in the show notes. As ever, the best way to support the show is by sharing on social media. Or if you wanted to, you could leave a review on iTunes. Let's get into it. On 16th of December 2020, more than 370 religious leaders called for a ban on the practice of gay conversion therapy. It was the greatest thing the church had done for gay rights since the release of Sister Act 2. This followed a promise from UK government to legislate against gay conversion practices as early as the summer of 2018. As recently as July 2020, Boris Johnson stated, it's abhorrent and has no place in civilised society. A direct reference to the gay conversion practice, not Jacob Rees-Mogg's eyebrows. Yet, despite this, nothing has actually been done. Much like Boris Johnson's voting record on gay rights issues, progress on this bill is absent. A progress report was published in July 2019, stating a formal consultation was on its way, and credit, They have been somewhat busy with a little thing called coronavirus. But how long can these things really take? If Taylor Swift can release two albums in lockdown, I'm sure they can knock up a research report in 18 months. Hell, I've got a psychology degree. I'll do it for you. I mean, it's only a 2-2 because I was mostly there for the social activities. But I can find my way around a Spearman's correlation coefficient. Nil problemo. The commitment to a ban followed a March 2018 majority vote in EU Parliament calling on member states to initiate legislating. I mean, thank God we left the EU and their progressive rights, the equality-loving pigs. Following this, Theresa May's government published the world's largest LGBT survey, which found the practice to be more prevalent than suspected. The report showed 2% of the LGBT plus community had undergone conversion courses, with 5% being offered them. 5%? The O2 Arena has a capacity of 20,000. That means when I saw Cher there, statistically speaking, 400 of the concert goers had undergone treatment and 1,000 had been offered it. Because, you know, like, everyone at the concert was gay. I mean, that is a lot. She didn't even do that many wig changes. She nearly did. The rates are even higher when looking at the trans community, with one in five feeling pressured to access services. That's a whole Spice Girl. That's a Jerry Halliwell every day being pressured to change who they are just because they don't fit the conception of norm. Alongside support from religious organisations, the NHS and every major UK therapy professional body disagree with the practice on a logical, ethical and moral ground. All peer-reviewed and respected research papers disagree with its ability to successfully convert. That's pretty conclusive. In 2007, a task force by the American Psychological Association found very little methodologically sound research on sexual orientation change efforts and that the results of scientifically valid research indicate that it is unlikely that individuals will be able to reduce same-sex attractions. You tried, 
but you failed. In fact, they found an increase in likelihood of harm due to individuals being societally rejected by family and friends, with an eightfold increase in suicides and six times more likely to report high levels of depression. I just feel like that should be enough. Like, imagine conversion therapy is a crocodile. If every lead crocodile expert, every zoologist, every vet, even David Attenborough, was telling me not to throw crocodiles at gay people because crocodiles would surely eat them, I would stop throwing crocodiles at gay people because I'm scared of crocodiles and gays can't throw. The only thing I can throw is a brunch. But maybe the government isn't scared of crocodiles and it isn't scared of ignoring all educated advice because it's not scared of permanently scarring thousands of innocent children. I don't know. You'd think, with religious leaders banning and health organisations banning, that everything would be, well, banned. Who needs government? Let's just do it ourselves. But these people are just the advocates. Within every fraction of religion or medicine, there are splinter groups who just do their own thing. It's not like Marks and Spencers, where no matter which one you're in, you know you can find the Percy Pigs by the till. Religious groups can follow whichever rules they interpret. In fact, very few countries have banned gay conversion therapy. In May 2020, Germany became the first European country, following efforts from Malta, Ecuador, Brazil and Taiwan. So there's five. There are only five countries in the whole world that are banned gay conversion therapy. There are more varieties of Percy Pig than countries that are banned gay conversion therapy. And still it remains contentious. Many conservative religious groups across different faiths say that a ban could infringe on their religious freedom. Their concern is that a ban would mean the government legislating what faith leaders can and cannot teach. In America, there are actually 20 states and a handful of cities that have banned the practice for minors. But even that becomes tricky to enforce. New York originally prohibited the practice on people of all ages, but was challenged by a religious group when a young man sought counselling for his same-sex attraction. The case was dropped because lawmakers feared a case going to Supreme Court may rule in favour of the religious group, and that could halt the progress of future bills indeterminately. But it's not just counselling and talking therapies involved here. This isn't just your form tutor coming into class and saying, he, she, good, she, she, bad. German psychiatrist Albert von Schrenk-Notzig Try saying that after a drink, is widely recognised as the first converter. He presented a gay man turned straight at the 1899 International Conference of Hypnotism. Hypnotism was very scientific back then. It wasn't all Darren Brown and Yuri Geller, but I bet it really changed the dynamic of the conference. Can you imagine? This place used to be full of people thinking they were runner beans and falling in love with carpets. Now it's just full of gays converted from bean flickers and carpet munchers. Still, I'd rather watch that than a female comedian. Albert was a notable parapsychologist. Notable in that most of his work was widely discredited and even Sigmund Freud thought he was a bit weird. Freud said homosexuality is nothing to be ashamed of. No vice, no degradation, it cannot be classified as an illness. And that's Freud. Freud! When a man who believes boys only have morals for fear of castration and women have none because they have nothing to castrate. When someone like that thinks you're odd, you've got to be suspicious. 
However, the practice was quickly accepted and by the 1940s, individuals were committed to psychiatric facilities against their will. Suffering inhumane treatments including castration, torture drugs, shock therapy and lobotomies. Lobotomy is the practice of severing parts of the brain to prevent connection between anterior and frontal lobes. Like using a sausage to stop the beans getting to your breakfast. It was used to treat mental disorders, reducing symptoms, but often at the expense of personality and intellect. You know, those useless traits, personality and intellect. Oh, there's loads of jobs you don't need them for, like traffic comb or MP. This treatment was used on a huge range of people. In 1941, President Kennedy's sister Rosemary received a frontal lobotomy to help calm her seizures, mood swings and violent outbursts. It left her incapacitated and non-verbal. She was just 23. She lived out her life seriously disabled in a psychiatric ward. It's odd to think in 2021 that less than a lifetime ago, psychologists thought, huh, I know what will make this brain work better. Chopping it in half like it's Kit Kat. This is why ethics are so important. As a psychology student, ethics were a major ball ache. There were a whole ream of paperwork which stopped us doing cool things like imprisoning students and strapping electrodes to monkeys. Hours of questioning. How will the patient feel? How much will I tell them? Will that burn their bollocks? But it literally stops people chopping up parts of a brain just to get a science grant. So I guess it's worth every page. It's easy to forget these things happened within living memory. A 2009 survey of 1,300 accredited mental health professionals found that more than 200 had offered some form of conversion therapy, with 35% saying patients were referred to them by GPs. It's easy to think this isn't happening on our turf, pun intended, but 2009 was not that long ago. 2009 was the same year Simon Amstel quit Nevermind the Buzzcocks a programme often more torturous for its guests than conversion therapy. The year Barack Obama became president of the United States. The year we worried swine flu might outbreak into a global pandemic. <laughs> Imagine that, a world-beating virus. Oh. My granny had electric shock treatment. It's not something that is widely talked about in the family, other than in passing reference, but I know it had an effect on her. She's a quiet, reserved woman who loves nothing more than painting miniature pictures of dogs. Like, really tiny. So tiny you're not sure if it's a dog or a spot of mustard. Now she's older and suffering with dementia, she is a different person. Every visit I have to come out as gay two or three times. She's always cool with it. Just a little look like, hmm, that'll explain the crop top. Dementia has shown me a different side to my granny. You get glimpses of a more candid and wild woman. She'll come out with occasional outbursts and quips of her life. Not all of them I can ever be sure are true. Sometimes she'll tell me she had electric shock treatment. Sometimes she won't. Sometimes she'll tell me she wishes she could have another dose just to set her right. Sometimes she won't. Sometimes she'll tell me your mind is like a garden. That you have to take all your feelings... Everything that makes you angry, scared or sad and walk them to the bottom of the garden. You have to put them in the shed, lock the door, run away and never look at them again. Sometimes I think it didn't work. I can't imagine what this treatment must have been like for my granny. 
She never says it was awful or how much it hurt, and she loves to complain. She once sent back an omelette because it tasted too much of egg. One time, my brother bought a broken ab belt from eBay. He strapped it to my stomach and slammed it on a full blast. I shit myself in a brand new pair of Levi's and my mum slapped him so hard his ear never bent back. And that was just from an ab belt. These devices were strapped to genitals and triggered every time a same-sex image appeared on screen to condition you into associating your sexual desires with pain. The theory being you can condition yourself into no longer liking the same sex. My voice is particularly high-pitched. All this podcasting, you probably noticed. I'm a cross between Larry Grayson and Hyacinth Bouquet. I remember losing my driver's license at 17. The DVLA worker on the end of the phone was so convinced that my voice couldn't belong to a male, she refused to reissue the license and put me straight onto the manager. I answered all my details correctly and had to cry down the phone to two random Welsh jobs worse who had decided to assign my gender based on vocals alone. They refused the license. I don't think the crying helped. In the end, my dad had to ring and pretend to be me. Great security system. 49% of the population, voice depth dependent, could have gotten a reissue of my driver's license. But not me. I remember being so cut up about it. So ashamed of myself for having this hugely obvious fault. Like it was a mushroom growing out the top of my head that everyone could see but me. To this day, I hate answering the phone for constant fear of embarrassing the person who misgenders me. I spent hours trying to train my voice to be deeper and more manly, working at the depths of my vocal range, building up the muscles. Then something exciting would happen, like a Britney song coming on or being offered cheese, and I'd squeal uncontrollably again. These electronic devices were sold for at-home treatment. At home! So you could cure your homosexuality whilst watching Generation Game. Pharrell Instruments offered an automated slide projector with ink-stained edges that triggered a shock at the appropriate time. They boasted, Our slides include heterosexual acts, homosexual acts, dating acts and nudes. Just handing out porn, isn't it? Just attach the buzzer to an aubergine and have a way. A wide variety of individuals are included. Patient is asked to rate the slides. Slides of the particular models or models of maximum interest can be ordered. In some cases, we can supply a complete range of erotic stimuli slides for a given model. It's porn. Tailored porn. Just ordering more porn. These things were sold alongside Mr. Frosty and Pogo sticks with very little follow-up or aftercare. If I was prepared to try and train my voice myself, would I have been tempted by this? Train the gay away? The real thing that fascinates me is the people running these sessions. Surely a faith-based counselling session, which takes a dozen sexually charged gay men on a camping trip into the woods, is not going to end up the way they expect. I watched a movie like that once on a website called YouPorn, and let me just say, the only thing that got converted was a headlamp into a harness. Perhaps one of the most notorious conversion leaders is McRae Game a South Carolina-based healer who was fired from the position after found looking at gay pornography on a work computer. He spent 28 years founding and delivering the Hope for Wellness programme after himself receiving treatment. 
This programme tortured thousands of individuals by seeking to find the cause of their homosexuality. Often, it suggested an absent or poor relationship with the father. Let me tell you, my dad loves hearing that one at Christmas. Why must all your presents be wrapped in glitter? You made me this way! Since leaving the faith, he has come out as gay. McCray game, not my dad. <laughs> no way. My dad can't read men's health without wincing. McCray game lived openly as a gay man, then set up a faith-based conversion course, then became gay again. It's like Robbie Williams would take that. Are you in or out? Pick a side. It's going to be a hard time for that guy in navigating the world of Tinder. It's hard enough saying you're a stand-up comic without someone saying, I've got a joke for you. Imagine being a former religious cult leader that specialised in head-twisting psychological practice. How could you ever trust to date someone that used mind tricks to convert people? Like, how could you ever know your feelings are real? Like, I really fancy Derren Brown, the TV illusionist. But I never know whether I actually fancy him or one of his programmes has tricked me into fancying him. I'm reluctant to give this McRae game the time of day, to say his name or air his story. He makes me mad. I'm not sure why that is. Do I really think he's a bad person? Or am I just jealous saying someone else's name in my own programme? I think I resent that he now lives a seemingly charmed life. In a nice house with kids, dating, enjoying the freedom his victims were ill-afforded. And I think it's fair to call them victims when they're eight times more likely to attempt suicide. But maybe he is a victim too. Hurt people hurt people. He found comfort in a church after his boyfriend was locked away for manslaughter, which led to him being radicalised, which then led to him setting up a faith-based conversion. I mean, yeah, after a breakup, most people just get purple highlights and an asymmetric bob, but as a person who ran away to a circus to deal with an ex, I'm not really sure I'm one to criticise. There's even elements of his story I can relate to. He sent his wedding photo to the dirty magazine shop he bought from and implored them never to do business with him. Which is, well, it's sort of impressive. I mean, I admire the determination. Kind of reminds me of the time I wanted to be in the Spice Girls musical. I spent an entire afternoon trying to guess the email address for Jennifer Saunders. I was like, j.saunders at yahoo.co.uk. Funny Jenny at Gmail. Not the fat one at Bing. Of course, I didn't know all I had to do was Google her agent, so that was six hours wasted. But I do feel it was karmic that the production tanked after six months in the West End. If you'd hired me, Jen, I could have ironed out the plot holes and got VB there on time. Maybe McRae Game didn't know there was an easier option for him. Maybe there wasn't one at all. He says, I was a religious zealot that hurt people. People said they attempted suicide over me and the things I said to them. People I know are in therapy because of me. Imagine that being your life's work. The creation of a treatment that harms so many people. Your biggest achievement being something so destructive and painful. It'd be like inventing depression or Nigel Farage. I've always been envious of people who had a religious faith. When I was growing up in Broughton, the largest village in Europe, a place with about as much religious diversity as Westboro Baptist Church. 
I used to attend a Sunday school. No one else in my family went, and I don't really know how I started. I only stopped because my friend Lauren Swan took up cheerleading and stopped giving me a lift. The church naturally assumed I took up cheerleading too. Stereotypes. I'm not even sure why I went. I don't ever feel like I firmly believed in a god, or believed in Bible stories any more than I believed in Power Rangers. I certainly made the same amount of prayers that one day I would become one. I think I just wanted to feel part of a group. I often felt isolated and like I didn't fit in anywhere. It's the same reason I auditioned to be an S Club Juniors. I just wanted a circle of friendship that would never be broken. In my 20s, I did try and set up an S Club tribute band, but we couldn't find a Rachel and it turned out the real thing was cheaper, so... Most of my school friends were very religious. My mum called them the God Squad. At 17, one of the goddess, Lucy, decided to be baptised. We were all encouraged to go along. I wanted to be supportive because she was my friend and this meant a lot to her. We were ushered to near the front. They began singing and everyone was smiling. The performer in me rose up and I tried to join in as best I could, flexing my feminine vocal range that only the week before had lost my driver's licence. Then, the pastor, vicar, the white guy in the gown, shouted, Put your hands in the air if you feel the love of God in you. Everyone's hands went straight up. I couldn't quite feel the love of God at that point, so I thought it best not to fake it and kept my hands firmly in my pockets. His tone became more pressing, imploring. Put your hands in the air if you feel the love of God in you. Pockets. Put your hands in the air if you feel the love of God in you. I put my hands up. By that point, I had already told the God Squad I was gay. I gathered them in a park, blurted it out, then ran off and hid in the cinema watching X-Men 2. They were really nice about it. Really accepting. The way you would expect a Christian to be. But they did also truly believe what I was doing was wrong, and I would go to hell. Lucy described it to me once as seeing me standing on the edge of a cliff, and I was just mincing towards the edge, blindly. She said to me, if you saw someone stood on the edge of a cliff, you'd want to stop them, right? And that's what she really thought she was doing. I admired Lucy. I envied the way religion gave her clarity in her life. I saw how neatly her life fit into this narrative of being a good person. And smart choices were easy to make based on the rules she had set for herself, based on the rules of the Bible. That was the first time I remember trying to change who I was. To thinking to myself, what would Lucy do? If she'd been a cruel person, or if that church had run a programme, I'm sure I would have been in it, undergoing conversion treatment. The UK government has still made no further progress or plans to update legislation against conversion therapy. With the UK out of the EU, it won't be compelled to by their vote. So while conversion therapy is allowed, I propose we start straight conversion therapy and liberate them from the shackles of toxic masculinity. Let's teach straight men to dance. 
electrocute them every time the word faggot is sung in fairy tale of New York, show them images of too many in a cream egg and stimulate their prostate. Maybe then straight people wouldn't walk so slow. Surely, if we train them enough, we can free them from the straight-only sexual disease. Pregnancy. A disease that has a nine-month incubation period, a detrimental effect on the environment and has life-limiting symptoms for both parties. I'm being facetious, of course. I wouldn't want to judge someone just because they can't name more than three Danny Minogue singles. And I wouldn't want to infringe on anyone's lifestyle. But there's certainly plenty of things about straight culture I would like to curtail. And, well, legally, there's nothing actually stopping me. I could set up the Church of Our Modern Day Saviour, the Christ Our Lord, Britney Spears, tomorrow and start doing just that. The LGBT Action Plan set out in June 2018 promised to deliver on LGBT rights, including conversion therapy, by the end of that parliamentary term. That term ended. It also set out to host international conferences and support other countries in repealing discriminatory laws worldwide Yet there are still 11 countries where homosexuality is punishable by death. And here, on our own soil, stark injustices remain. With the growing pressures and priorities of the pandemic, who knows when this will be picked up again? It's our responsibility as voters, as constituents, to hold them to account. Thanks for listening. This show was written by, performed by, produced by, and recorded by me, Erin Twitchin. I did everything, all from a closet, which feels like its own form of conversion therapy at times. It is all completely self-funded and self-produced. As ever, the best way to support the podcast is by sharing it directly with friends, or you could leave a review on iTunes, unless you're a politician, in which case, just progress the bill already. If you want to be an absolute bay, you can subscribe to the Patreon or buy cute Matter of Pride merch. All links are available on my humbly titled website, www.iloveerin.co.uk. Remember to hit subscribe and I will speak with you next week. Love, Erin.